Church, John chapter 19 seems like an odd place to start when you're talking about the resurrection and when we gather together today on Easter Sunday, but I pray that we would see the weight and the glory and the beauty of what God has for us in His Word this morning from this text and how in light of the resurrection what we celebrate today and what I pray that we walk in every single day as believers in Jesus. John chapter 19 I'm going to start in verse 28 and read down to verse 30. It'll be on the screen if you have your Bibles. Please read along with us. Verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for today. Father God, we just come to you this morning, broken people, weak people. Father God, in desperate need of something beyond us. Lord, to carry us, to direct us, to lead us. Lord, there's not a day that I step into personally, God, that I just don't feel at my wits end, God. Lord, I am so thankful for your faithfulness. God, I am so thankful for your glory. God, I am so thankful for your grace. Lord, and most of all, I'm thankful for your blood. God, that was shed for me. And God, not only that, but God, I'm, I'm thankful that you showed us that you defeated our greatest enemy in death when you rose again. Father God, I pray this morning that we would just humble ourselves beneath your word. God, that whatever weights we bring in, Father God, Whatever struggles, whatever doubts, whatever fears, Lord, I pray we lay them at your feet and are prepared to hear what it is you have for us today. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, one word can change everything. You know, not guilty in a courtroom changes everything. Yes, in a marriage proposal changes everything, right? And goodbye can change everything. Church, this morning I want to focus on the phrase, it is finished. You know, and, and, and I know a lot of times, even as I was studying and preparing, I kept jumping and tr- trying to remove myself from these words because I was thinking to myself, hey, this is a Good Friday message. Like, it is finished. It's something that happened then. Why are we going back to that? And it's because, just, man, God was just really just working on my spirit this week and just as I was preparing for what we had today and revealing to me that in light of the resurrection... These words, it is finished, that we see in John chapter 19, verse 30, have so much more power, have so much more meaning. And it's within this phrase, which in the Greek it's one word, to telestai. This phrase brings with it, this word in the original language brings with it so much weight. You know, this word translated means to be fulfilled to be accomplished, to be complete, to conclude. What this phrase or what this word is, is it's a proclamation of compensation. What was required has been satisfied. You know, so why do we talk about something that happened at His death in light of His resurrection? It's because of this, I believe. This is what I believe God was trying to show me this week. Is that the resurrection was the affirmation of Jesus' final proclamation. The resurrection 
was the affirmation of Jesus' final proclamation. Because at Jesus' death, they did not lose Jesus, but in His resurrection, they gained more of Him. We gained more of Him. And in light of the resurrection, with this, you know, our whole Christian faith is built on the resurrection. If Jesus does not rise from the dead, it is finished means nothing. Because what was finished was just His life. And there is nothing else that we could claim in that. All we could say is that there was some guy, like every other God, every other religion in the world, that claims that their God lived. But you know what? Their God is dead. And if our God did not rise from the dead, He is no different than theirs. But church, we celebrate this morning a risen Savior that is alive. That, that, that eyewitnesses, over 150 eyewitnesses visualize Jesus walking on the earth that we celebrate today that there are non-Christian literature, non-fiction literature that writes about the resurrection of Jesus. But the world will continue to compress that. The world will continue to hide that from us. But that is the very essence of what we celebrate. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he said, And if Christ has not been risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But Paul writes that in this book that we read every week because he knows that that's not the case. Because he, he experienced Jesus on the road to do sinful things. On his road of selfishness, on his road of, of, of self-indulgence, Jesus met him there. And he said, why are you persecuting me? And so this morning, what I want to focus on and what I pray that we can take away this Easter Sunday, and I, I told the worship team that I had a good 20-minute sermon ready. And uh, if you've been here long enough, you know that's going to be a stretch. I got 15 minutes. Um, I've only got 15 minutes left. So we're going to get into this. But I just want to, I want God to just really just magnify this truth this morning of what it means because it is finished on Easter Sunday. What does that mean? Why do we, why do we celebrate that today? And it's because of this, church is that many of us don't live in the it is finished, but a lot of us live in, live in the not quite yet. Many of us still live in the not quite yet. Like there's still more to be done. And a lot of times, and I say this often, that it's the fault of the church, that we've laid these things out in a way where we've said you've got to accomplish this, 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 and this before it is finished. Even though we'll preach on Good Friday and say it is finished, too often the church lays out this, this path that says it's not done yet until you've done this. But God's Word says differently. And we stand as a church on a different truth. And this morning I want us to see two things this morning that it is finished means for us. The first thing this morning is that the power of sin and shame is finished. The power of sin and shame is finished. Jesus accomplished something that we never could. He was fulfilling a debt that we could not pay. That it was concluded. That it was finished. And His resurrection affirmed that. You know, and, and I like to go back to the very beginning very often because I believe this is the most accurate just description and picture of what the state of what we live in now. Because the thing that we need to understand is that through the sin of Adam and Eve, we inherited a draw towards sin that lead, led us to shame. That because of the mistakes and because of the sin and because of the things we do, we feel shame for those things. And so, if you want to, you can turn to Genesis 3. If not, I'm just going to read it to us. But, church, I hope that we can see that the way we live now as Christians 
and the way that we even live as people is not the normal. It is not the normal. And I say that because what God created in the beginning was the normal. That was God's normal. Walking in the presence of God was normal. Enjoying His creation, unashamed, without fear, that was normal. Being in the presence of God and enjoying His glory, that was normal. But what drew us away from normal was the first words that the enemy ever spoke to us in in Genesis. And those words were a lie. Church, lies are what led us to shame. Lies are what led us to what is our, our new normal. Lies are what led us to where we are today. And those lies have led us to what we see in Genesis 3, in verse 10. It said, And Adam, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Church, the new normal today is that we hide from God. The new normal today is that within our sin and our recognition of shame, even as believers, even as Christians this morning, we hide from God. Hiding from God is our normal. It's not God's normal. That is not what God wants from us. That is not what God expects from us. Us hiding, us removing ourselves from our responsibility and our obedience and our calling to walk in the life that God has for us is the power of sin and shame reigning in our lives. It is our normal. It's not God's normal. And how can we know that? The feeling of shame and guilt being our normal, how can we know that? Because in Genesis 3, we see the heart of God for His people. Man, and this just rocks me every time I think about it. That in the, in, in the worst moment in human history, what is God doing? God has literally just said to Adam and Eve, given them the rules, given them the guidelines, told them the things that He's called them to do. And in the worst moment in human history, what is God doing in Genesis 3? It tells us that He is walking in the garden. That He's not running from them. That He's not destroying them. That He's not even scolding them. What is God doing in the worst day of human history? He's walking in the garden looking for them. Even the first words that He speaks to them being, who told you that you were naked? Who told you to feel ashamed? Who told you to hide from Me? Church, lies are what draws us to hide from God. Now, whether you've gotten those lies from the enemy or you've gotten those lies from, from poor, misguided church members, lies lead us to hide from God. That is our normal, not God's. Because what we see is that God isn't afraid to be near broken and messy people. That in the worst day of human history, God walked in the very presence of people who had actively disobeyed Him. And what did He do? What did He do in that moment? He clothed them. He gave them purpose and direction. And He told them, eventually, I will provide through your bloodline the one that will crush the head of the serpent that deceived you. Church, and that's what we celebrate today. That it is finished that the power of sin, that the deception of the serpent in the garden no longer holds weight on us. 
that the lies that we've been convinced of day after day to hide from God, they don't have reign over us anymore unless we give them that power. Sin and shame only have as much power as we allow them to have in our life. And so what has happened? When, it, when, when the finishing work of taking the power of sin and shame away, what does that do for us? What Jesus accomplished by stripping away the shame of sin and paying the price for our sin required through His blood as we've sung about this morning. He did something for us so that we could experience conviction rather than condemnation. There's a big difference between those things. Conviction is hope with the expectation of growth. Condemnation is hopelessness with the expectation of punishment. We still are called to repent. We are still called to acknowledge where we fall short, where we rebel against the Holy God, but not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of conviction. God is convicting us for, us, for the sake of redirecting us. But because we haven't truly convinced ourselves, or maybe we even haven't heard from the church being taught to us that it is finished, that so many of us are living our lives, lives as if it isn't finished. Like we have work to pay off the rest of the debt. Like I understand Jesus took care of some of it, but I'm still making mistakes. There's still things I have to pay off before I can start to step into this obedient walk, before I can enjoy God, before I can love His presence, before I can do those things. But God says it is finished that the power and the, the penalty and the debt that was owed, it is paid for in full. There is no rest of it to be paid. It is done. There is nothing that we have to do anymore to earn that place anymore. It's not there. There's no requirement. He said it is finished. And you know, and I understand it. I understand this feeling that we have. Listen, we're taught our entire lives to be independent, Right? as we grow, as we develop. We teach our kids, we were taught to be independent, to, to, to do things within our own strength. And I celebrated that. When my kids started feeding themselves, that was a good day. So we're taught our entire lives to be independent. And so then when we get to this age, when we get and we're older and we have responsibility, we have kids, we have finances, we have all these things that we're doing and managing, we, we still we believe in our mind because it's what we've been taught that we're meant to be dependent. We're meant to be independent. But I believe that's why in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, when Jesus is talking about this childlike faith, he's drawing us into a mindset that is always dependent on him. Always dependent on him to bear our sin. Always dependent on him to bear our shame. Always dependent on him. John chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus says, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Luke 19.10, He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Romans 3.23-25, He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned. There are no pious among us. There are no, there's no spiritual hierarchy of spiritual people that are better than other, any other person. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified or made right by His grace as a gift through redemption. That is in Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. That's my, my favorite part of that verse. That in His forbearance, in His 
work in his movement towards us, he passed over former sins. Thank God for that. Church, in his death, he brought redemption. And in his resurrection, he brought completion. Church, it is finished. It is finished. Romans 8.32, he said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, who will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And he did. He did. He gave to us. He gave. And in the end of that verse, in verse 30, he says, And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The divine nature of Jesus very well could have taken himself off that cross. The divine nature of Jesus very well could have kept his spirit to himself. But in through bearing the weight and the power of shame and sin on himself, he gave up for us. He gave up for you. He gave up knowing where you would be today. He gave up knowing the mistakes you would make. He gave up knowing the sin we would do. He gave up His Spirit for you. And the second thing this morning that is finished are the excuses that we make are finished. Now what does that mean? Church, a lot of times we don't follow or commit our life to the Lord in obedience because we are afraid we will be faulty links in a chain. Failed followers. But church, I don't know about you, and if you've spent enough time in this book, I pray that you've seen that God's church is built on failed followers' willingness to take steps of obedience into His redemptive work. There is not a single person that did anything for God that held it together. They were broken. They were messy. They made mistakes. And so what Jesus' proclamation on the cross, it is finished. He is telling us that our excuses are finished. It doesn't matter the inabilities that we feel like we have. It doesn't matter the mistakes we, ha- we make. It doesn't matter if we don't, if I don't, if Jake doesn't feel like I'm adequate to lead my family. You know what he says? Hey, it's finished. That excuse is done. Dad's this morning. That excuse is done. If we put our faith in Jesus, He says, lead. I don't care where you fail. I don't care where you don't have it together. Follow me. Lead your family. Mamas, lead your family. Lead your kids. Share the gospel with them. Singles, lead your workplace, your friends, your family. He says the excuses are done because it's finished. The requirements to be in this work, He said that 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 tab has been paid. Because the proclamation of it is finished is a victory cry. It is not a moan of defeat. Whatever obstacle stands in our way to keep us from moving forward is done. Those walls have been defeated. Those walls have been taken down. And church, if He has finished His work for me, then I must go to work for Him. And I must keep going until I finish my work too. Not to save myself, but because... This is already done because I'm already saved. But if I've put my faith in Jesus' work on the cross and His resurrection for me, then the, the requirements are done. That it doesn't matter the sin. I mean, in reality, God already knows your sin. God already knows where you fail. God already knows where you doubt and struggle. So we can't use that as an excuse to sit back in the corner and say, I, I'm, I'm not going to kneel and I'm not going to lean into these moments and pray with my family because I don't feel like I'm, I'm good enough. I don't feel like I'm that guy. I don't feel like I have the, the, the requirements to participate in that. 
I don't feel like I have the requirements to have spiritual conversations with my spouse. I don't feel like I have the requirements to serve in my local church. I don't feel like I have the requirements to lead my friends and family or the people I work with to be a Christian example to them. That excuse is done. It's finished. Because the thing that we can't do ever do, church, is we cannot be apathetic towards this. If we truly believe this is the greatest thing in the entire world, that the greatest moment in history was the resurrection of Jesus revealing to us that death is defeated and there is an eternal life beyond this. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Church, if you have Christ this morning, you have it all. He says He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need. Now, do we always wield it properly? Absolutely not. Does Jake? I do not. Daily, I do not. But it doesn't mean that I stop. It doesn't mean that I hide. Because our normal is to hide. God's normal is not for us to hide. When we hide, God says, who told you that? Who told you that you needed to hide? Who told you that you needed to feel shame? If you have Christ, you have all you need. Because in Jesus we are justified, made right before Him. In Jesus we are sanctified, set apart with purpose. And in Jesus we have an expectation to be glorified or being made perfect in, in the presence of a holy God. Church, you want to be strong this morning? Push back against the cultural expectation of self-confidence. Push back against the expectation that anything we do or can accomplish is within our own strength and power. You want to be strong and bold? Be nothing. You want to be strong and bold? Be nothing and have God on your side. Have God confidence. Take every step of your life depending on Him. In the midst of leaning in and praying with your family where you feel like you don't, you're not adequate or you don't have the right words, stop depending on yourself and just depend on God in that moment. To lead, to make decisions, to step out churches and families and individuals. Be nothing and have God on your side. Because what that does is it leads us into God's greater purpose for our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19 he says, all this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and He gave us, us, the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of bringing people closer to God. The ministry of leaning into the lives of broken people like us and facilitating motion towards God. The ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Praise God and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So not only has He given us the responsibility for the ministry of reconciliation, but He's given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. The gospel of Jesus dying for broken sinners. And then Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples or students of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Church, the excuses that are keeping us from stepping into our families, stepping into our spaces and leading spiritually are finished. He says, come. He says, come because I'm with you. You know, in that last, that last set of verses, making disciples, making disciples starts at home. We talk about that all the time. It starts at home with our families, with our spouses, with, with, with individuals that we have close encounters with. The excuses are finished. Because He has this grander life for us to live in. He has this grander life for us to experience, to walk in. You know, and this morning we're going to celebrate that truth together as we're going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. You know, for those who put their faith in Jesus, it's something for us to participate in, an ordinance that God has given us to experience God's grace, to be reminded, He says, to remember me when you do these things and what I've done, that taking communion is a proclamation of the gospel. God's body broken for us, Jesus' body broken for us, His blood shed for us. And so what is the realities that we navigate with the it is finished this morning? For the non-Christian, if you come and you still you doubt, you're just having you're, you're struggling with the acceptance of this reality. I pray that you would know this this morning, for the non-Christian to understand that the entry level isn't expectation; it's reception. That the entry level isn't expectation; it's reception. That it's receiving, not doing first. It's a come and see before it's a go and do. That God has said, listen, come with your broken pieces, come with your doubts, come with your fears. And He said, I'll mold those things for you. I'll shape those things for you. And that, you know what He's even given us? He's given us the context of other broken people within this space to help navigate and walk through those doubts and fears. That there's no work other than to trust in His finished work that sin goes from leading to condemnation to conviction, redirecting us to growth rather than cowering under punishment. And so for the Christian this morning, church, that we have a work and foundation to work on, a hope to carry, a confidence in His work and not in our own that gives us the freedom to enjoy and embrace our responsibility. This responsibility that we have as believers to a world that desperately needs the it is finished truth. Church people around us, even Christians within this space this morning, don't truly believe it is finished. We're still hiding. We're still living in our normals and not enjoying God's normal of confidently walking in the presence of God even in our nakedness, even in our failure, even in our weakness. Jesus said, it is finished. And His resurrection is an affirmation of that proclamation that He invites us to live in. Church, could we bow our heads this morning as we prepare to go into a time of, of communion together? of acknowledging who God is and what He's done for us, what He continues to do for us. That in our Christian faith, we do not step into a space of not quite yet, but we step into a space of it is finished, and His resurrection affirms that truth. That it is finished. 
that the work that we're trying to do, the good enough that we're trying to be, is finished. He was good enough. He was good enough. And that the fear and doubt that we have in ourselves that's keeping us from stepping into the life of action and obedience that He's called us to, He says those excuses are finished. He says, I don't expect you to do it perfectly. He says, I've already done it perfectly. You just walk in obedience. Just come. Just come. You know, and God knew. God knew that His church would not be perfect. God knew that His church would be, have faulty people in it. But what we rest in, what we believe in, And what guides us and directs us is not faulty people, but a faithful Savior. Could we follow a faithful Savior this morning into obedience? Could we follow a faithful Savior this morning into an it is finished life? Could we do that? Let us pray. Father God, I just thank you. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for what you've led us into this morning. God, I thank you for the it is finished life. God, I thank you for the it is finished message. God, that we would stop living and working to earn our place or thinking that there's things that we have to do before we take a seat at your table, God, but that at the the, the beginning, Lord, it is reception. That you've called us to receive you, to take a seat, to begin to walk in and live in that it is finished life. Father God, I'm thankful. God, that you never gave up on me. God, that in the midst of my daily failures, Lord, you still proclaim over my life it is finished and that your resurrection affirms that. God, use these moments this morning to open our hearts and minds to who you are and what you have for us. Father God, we just love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in your holy and precious name.